Thanks to you, our listeners, KRBN Internet News Talk Radio is growing and is now available on more stations such as Facebook Video, Player.fm, iTunes, Verbal, and now on Amazon Audible. KRBN Internet News Talk Radio currently does not receive any funding to bring you these programs. However, we do ask that you hit that like button and tell your friends to help this station grow. And thank you again for your support. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bosevich. And now, here's Jay. Good afternoon, and welcome to another edition of the Bose Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, where my cat, Me Too, is helping me host the show today. I don't know why she's decided she needs to be in my lap, probably because I'm wearing a suit. <laughs> Cats have that, that, that kind of, you know, magical you know, radar. Somebody's wearing dry clean clothes. I'm going to go sit on them. Uh, <laughs> but we're here to talk about other things today. And I want to talk about everything from redistricting to county council contracts to we just heard the news this morning that our con- long serving Congressman Peter DeFazio is retiring to digital vaccine passports. I, gosh, there's a lot to talk about today, but we'll talk about what ever you want to talk about here on the Post Nose Show, you just have to give us a call at 646-721-9887. Just press one so we know you want to talk because we do get people that call in the show and all they really want to do is listen because sometimes it's easier to listen over a cell phone when you're either moving around or in a car or you know, you, you're not where your computer is. So we do have people that actually call in and just listen to the show live. Um, So, again, if you want to talk, 646-721-9887, just press 1. But you can also just call that to listen if you want, 646-721-9887, and press 1. So Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, knows you want to get in on the show. So jump into the first thing I want to talk about today, which is we have got our second and final public hearing coming up at 5.30, shortly after the show ends today, for our redistricting for Lane County. Now, Lane County is a little bit different than a lot of other counties in Oregon in that we are a home rule county. And in our home rule charter, we chose to separate the county commissioner seats by geographic districts. And we run in those districts and are only voted on by people from those districts. And we run as nonpartisan. Every county is a little bit different. There are counties where they're elected at large and they actually have partisan Republican-Democrat elections. There are counties that have geographic districts, but they're elected at large. You know, it, it, it varies. But being a home rule county, we kind of get to choose how that happens. But because we're geographic districts and elected that way, we have to balance those districts every 10 years. And our charter even has that written into it that once every 10 years, 
we need to make sure the populations are balanced between the districts to the greatest extent possible, which, you know, it's really difficult to get down to having perfectly equal districts because, you know, you get into, you know, taking one house on a street or something like that. You know, it's really, really hard. So um, there's some plus or minus in that. And generally, we think we're doing pretty good if we can get it down to 1% plus or minus each direction as far as population between districts goes. Because the census, because growth doesn't happen normally, has got us a little bit out of whack right now. Um, you know, some of the districts like North Eugene have grown the most, where it's about 5% out of the norm, out of the average. And some districts have fallen behind. Um, Springfield's almost 4% below the average. So, it, yeah, there needs to be some jiggering around the populations to get things back to normal. Um, and you can look at the maps that do that and some of the data and reasoning behind them on Lane County's website. And that's that, you know, lanecounty.org slash IRC. IRC stands for Independent Redistricting Committee. <clears throat> if you go to that page, You'll see links to each map. You'll also see links to the descriptions that the committee wrote for each of those maps and, and some of the reasoning behind the changes they proposed in them. Um, I'm not going to tell you my favorite map because I don't want to influence your review of those maps. But I, I, you know, if you go and look at those maps and read Lane County's charter, home rule charter, and and the section that describes the, the commissioner's districts, it's really specific about describing two rural districts that are supposed to be generally comprised outside of the metropolitan area. And the, the Eugene Springfield metropolitan area is what they're referring to. Two Eugene districts that are supposed to be comprised generally of the metropolitan area and a Springfield district that's supposed to be comprised of the Springfield metropolitan area. And they're described right in the charter. And if you look at those three maps that are being proposed, I think if you look at those descriptions, there's only one map that does the best job of following the charter. At the same time, there's some other issues that you have to pay attention to redistricting on, which is you try not to split up neighborhoods, you try not to split up communities of interest, try not to to by subdividing, you know, a minority area, you know, minority population area, diminishing their influence over a, a you know representation. You know, there there are various civil rights issues you have to pay attention, court president and all that. Gotta try and use geographic boundaries. Yeah, so all those things involved, along with the description of our districts, I have one map I think does the best job of that. Um, and, uh, you know, I think if you guys go to that lanecounty.org slash IRC, um, look at those three maps. And there's still time to give written comment if you want to. to and there's instructions on how, how to provide written comment on that that page to the commissioners because uh, we'll probably be look, checking our email right up to 5:30, and even you know I can kind of see my email out of the corner of my eye during the meetings. I've got three screens here in front of me, um, so 
feel free to, to try and get some written comments in. I wouldn't try and do that much later than 5.30, though, if you have the opportunity. So I will give you permission to stop listening to Bo's Nose show or, you know, have it on in the background and go to that Lane County site, look at those three maps, and provide some input to the commissioners, because these maps will be the maps that, for the next five county commissioner elections over the next 10 years. will make a difference in how the voice is split up in Lane County. And I think it's one of the reasons why Lane County approved a home rule charter was before that charter was, was in place, we were what they call a general rule county, which means we only had three commissioners and they were elected at large from the entire county and they, there was no geographic requirements of where they live. And for a while, there was three commissioners that came out of South Eugene because population-wise, Eugene could pretty well outvote most of the county. So you, there, the, and when you think about the county as a government, we supply direct services to third of our population that does not live inside the city of Eugene or Springfield. You know, that live in the other small towns or the unincorporated areas. In fact, there's about 100,000 plus that are the only local government they have is Lane County. We're the first level of government. So it's kind of important to give those people a pretty strong voice on our board, or at least somebody that can speak for them. Because having two rural commissioners and three urban commissioners, it's obviously we're already set up to be the rural areas aren't, aren't a dominant and overbearing. Um, you know, they're not overrepresented. And because there's population balance in the districts, there's no overrepresentation. But it's just to make sure that that rural voice is represented. And I think it's really important to take a look at those maps and, and think about that and trying to maintain that rural voice for those, those residents. Um, it's why we went to home rule county, why we went to five commissioners and, and geographically determined districts, not voting at large, but voting by geographic district. Because um, there was a recognition of the need to have those folks that are most dependent on county services to have some clear voice and somebody to go talk to. Um, you, know, you know, the South Eugene commissioner doesn't get farmers and loggers necessarily, you know, and, and woodland owners that come and talk to them very often as, as I do, you know. Totally different set of issues being a South Eugene commissioner uh, that your constituents might bring to you. Plus, folks that live in an incorporated city also have a city councilor to go to first for some services and some level of service. Uh, so really important thing that we are going to have our final public hearing. After we close that public hearing, we will be making a decision tonight as to which map will go on for the next 10 years. So if you're listening to the Bose Nose Show right now, I, I, I rarely will tell an audience member to stop listening, but if you haven't had a chance to look at those maps and provide some input to the county commissioners, really easy to do. And if you want to actually speak at the public hearing, 
you know, go to our agenda on our county website, um, which if you go under Board of Commissioners meetings, you can click on the View Current Agenda. There's instructions on how to sign up for that hearing tonight. But you kind of got to pre-register so they can, you know, so you have the link in to uh, speak uh, uh, on, at the hearing. Um, so, and it's it's verbal only. We don't see you. It's not like we Zoom, so you know you don't have to worry about having already mussed your hair up or you just came home from work and you're one of those people that has the kind of job you take a shower at the end of the day, not at the beginning of the day. Um, we get it. We don't have to see you. We just have to hear you. So, but you're only going to get three minutes at the most to speak. So, kind of be succinct. Get to the point. Um, I suggest anytime somebody addresses a body or an elected official, I don't care whether you like them or not, be respectful and polite is always a good thing. It gets your point across as soon as you cross the line into disrespectful and, and impolite, your message is gone with the elected body. Even the people that support what you're saying don't like to hear that necessarily. So. Lane County slash IRC, review the maps. If you want to go to our um, agenda uh, under our lanecounty.org uh, website, there's a drop down for, for government. There's Board of Commissioners meetings on that drop down. Go to that, and then you can, there'll be a hot link to view current agenda, and there's instructions to sign up for the hearing on those that agenda page. Um, or just email us some written comments before 530. Um, love to hear from as many people as possible. And uh, I think we can, you know, uh, it, it'll be great to get good public input. We've gotten a fair amount, I, I, but I'd say maybe a total of 50 public comments on something that's going to be impactful for the next 10 years out of a population of 380,000. So think about how impactful your point of view could be. If you're, you know, one, you know, say we get all the way up to 100 comments, you're speaking for a lot of people. So please, please, please uh, look at the maps, think about which one you like the best, provide us some input, either written or sign up for to public testimony tonight at 530. Moving on from that, I want to talk a little bit about something that happened at yesterday's board meeting, which was the contract with our county council. Now, county council is something people may not be aware of, you know, and you hear terms like county commissioner, city councilor, and all that stuff. Everybody gets confused about who does what. Under our charter, um, the board of commissioners uh, basically hires a couple people directly that, that work for the board as, as a whole. Everybody else is hired by those people. And that is the county administrator, where almost the entire county staff reports to the county administrator. The county performance auditor, which we've left unfilled, partly for budgetary reasons, partly because we're not quite sure how we want that role to, to to function, and there's been a lot of discussion about how that role should function, whether we should have one, whether we should just 
contract out performance audits. Um, so there's that's still on, you know, that discussion is still happening. So that there's no one in that seat. And then county council. And county council is the head lawyer for the county. And you think, yeah, why does the county need a head lawyer? Well, we need somebody that doesn't report to the administrator so we can get independent legal advice. And his job is to represent the commissioners and the commission and the county. You know, and kind of the the, the commission as a whole is his first kind of responsibility. The county is his second responsibility. He has no requirement necessarily to represent the county administrator in above the county county board you know he's really supposed to be giving us advice just in case there's ever a time where we need advice about the county administrator possibly uh, that's why it's a separate separate office and in his office the, the office of county council has lawyers and staff that report to him and basically he's like the the principal attorney in a small law firm because he's probably got a staff of about 10 or 12. Uh, and they handle a lot of things. I mean, every board memo that comes to the board and, and board item that's going to be on our agenda goes past legal counsel just to look at it and make sure that you know, it doesn't violate county code, that it doesn't violate state law, that, you know, those various things. And, and they have to review everything that comes to us that we might possibly adopt so that we don't adopt something that violates the law. <laughs> so it's really an important function to have that all that stuff fed through county council. And, of course, they support our human resources department and help with all of our, our um, you know, employee relations laws, uh, all of our collective bargaining work. Um, you can imagine just, you know, everything from making sure we don't step over the line when it comes to harassment and, um, you know, that we're we're paying attention to discrimination and all the all the various things we need to do as a county to stay legal and just being an employer. And then they do things like help the elections folks stay on you know track of the elections laws. They help our land management division pay attention to all of the insane labyrinth that is Oregon's land use law system. So you know there's attorneys that specialize in various things, they manage the risk management system for the county and, and, you know, pay attention to issues like, you know, keeping our insurance coverages up to date and adequate, reducing that risk by, you know, trying to, to, you know, be proactive with various departments about risk. Um, they do think, you know, you name it, they're involved in just about every aspect of Wayne County in some manner or form. And it's a lot of government law, so it's a different sort of law in some ways. So the person that runs that department is a pretty senior level attorney that's going to have other attorneys reporting to them that they, you know, have to manage, mentor, and 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 help. Um, and 
quite often county councils don't really actually practice much law as it is. Our current county council actually is a, also a very skilled litigator. And he's actually doing two roles and we're getting two, almost two full FTEs out of him. The guy, I don't know how he manages his work schedule. I would, I would be really tired if I were him, but he, I have, I wake up early in the morning and I wake up to emails from our county council that are already hours old at six in the morning. It's because he starts his work day somewhere about four 30, I think. Um, but he's also a skilled litigator and has saved us a lot of outside counsel costs by helping us, you know, defending the county in litigation or representing the county in litigation um, at times. Uh, can't say enough about how much county counsel does. Now, also understand, you know, besides filling two roles, Mr. Dingle, who is our current county counsel, is considered one of the best in the state other county councils around the state. You know, they have a listserv where they, they, they share out questions sometimes, you know, you know, what do you guys think about this particular uh, legal issue? And they, they respond and all that. He is well-respected around the state. Um, and, you know, just has got a great reputation as an attorney, as a legal mind, great knowledge and everything. So, as the board manages two employees, we do an evaluation of those employees usually once a year. And the way our contracts are set up with those two employees is usually if the evaluation comes out, you know, meets expectations or higher, their contract gets renewed. And usually that means they move up a step in whatever scale they are, unless they're at the top step. Um, and that's, you know, that's usually all that happens. So as part of that evaluation system for both of these employees, the employee draws up a list of people that he's going to, to have fill out um, evaluations on his performance that are anonymous. They, he doesn't know who gave the scores and all that stuff. And they come to the HR manager to compile and, and average and, and put together and that list is also circulated around the board to to edit and review and see if there are people we want to add or subtract, you know, ask them to subtract from the list. And then it goes out. So about 90 some surveys were sent out and over 40 were returned, um, you know, complete evaluations of Mr. Dingle. And his rating was a exceeds expectations. Now the, the ratings are one through four on the on this various scale, and his was a three point seven, I think, or something like that out of four. Pretty good rating. Now that's with all that in the background, you would think, oh, Board of Commissioners is going to offer Steve a renewal of his contract and and say, great job, Steve, keep up the good work. Uh, let's talk about setting some goals for next year or something like that. But some of our board members had a separate agenda. And that separate agenda was being driven by an, out, you know, by an influence of a special interest group, which was 
They wanted to get rid of Mr. Dingell, despite the fact that he's well-respected, runs a great office, has saved the county tons of money in, in risk and legal cost and, and you name it, has really helped revamp our training of our managers and supervisors. Uh, it's just, I can't tell you enough good things about Mr. Dingell and his performance. September 22nd, Commissioner Heather Buck made a motion to terminate our relationship with Mr. Dingell within 60 days, or at, I guess at the end of November when his contract terminated and that one-year contract ran out. And Commissioner Lori Trigger seconded it, and there was discussion about it. And in the discussion, Commissioner Trigger and Commissioner Buck both opined on why they wanted to not renew the contract for Mr. Dingle, and particularly Commissioner Buck. And, uh, you know, it went back and forth, and, and the question was, you know, but, you know, we got the 360 evaluation. This isn't jiving, you know. Um, Commissioner Farr and myself were very uh, taken aback and surprised and couldn't understand why we you know, were going to terminate them. And if there was something that was, you know, to go from, you know, and this wasn't the first exceeds expectations review. The last one was exceeds expectations and the one before that. So it's like all of a sudden we're going to go from, you know, renewing his contract from exceeds expectations annual reviews to we're going to end his, the relationship with Mr. Dingle. Why? Um, and that's, you know, got to be some, you know, you know, why go from zero to, to, to terminate? How about, you know, is there certain performance things you want to have corrected? We could write into the contract or, you know, and uh, eventually it became kind of obvious that, that the, majority of the board was not going to support an immediate termination. And they came up with the idea of, of offering a six-month extension and a review in six months. Um, you know, and and uh, and that's ended that's what, you know, the, the original motion to terminate was was voted down and new motion to give to offer a six month contract was voted on and approved on a four one vote with Heather Buck voting against even offering a six month extension. And from there it went back into Mr. Dingle's lap uh, to try and negotiate that new contract. Now at the point we start negotiating with our own attorney that means we have to get outside counsel to represent the board in our negotiation with the, with our own legal counsel. <laughs> so we brought in a very highly paid attorney that does this sort of legal work with governments and and um, high end employees, county administrators and department heads and county councils. And uh, working with that attorney, it became apparent very quickly that Mr. Dingle was was not very happy with how things went publicly and some of the things said publicly about him and wasn't really interested in a six-month extension in that way <laughs> and had actually been, a, you know, was just not happy, let's put it that way. And at the same time, our staff that was watching that public meeting 
couldn't believe what they were seeing because they're the ones that filled out the 360 evaluations that gave them an exceeds expectation, you know, review, annual review, and, you know, some of the department heads and everything. We started receiving unsolicited emails from staff both in county council's office and around the county. Totally, I mean, people that said they were crying when they watched the meeting. They couldn't believe that we were going to terminate Mr. Dingle. And, and just, you know, and basically what it came down to was it looked like we were going to have a mutiny if we did terminate Mr. Dingle. And, it, you know, so here we are with the possibility that he may be gone by the end of November. Now, mind you, recruiting an attorney at this level in this economy with the labor shortages is really difficult. So it's not going to happen in a couple months. And there's the possibility that a good portion of the staff is gone with him. Now, who do you think had the leverage when that negotiation using our outside attorney, by the way, which cost over $400 an hour to the taxpayers um, with Mr. Dingle, which party do you think had the most leverage? The Board of Commissioners or Mr. Dingle? <laughs> who, needed, who needed him to stay on more <laughs> at that point? And on top of that, apparently Mr. Dingle was getting unsolicited offers once people heard he might be available to become a senior partner in local law firms at much higher wages. So he came back with a counter offer basically to stay on for a full year for quite a bit more. And after some working back and forth, it only cost the taxpayers an extra $190,000 over his last contract. Because for some reason, from a, some, some agenda that was not really revealed publicly, Heather Buck and Lori Trieger, and frankly, the chair let this go on, so I don't, I don't keep him out of this myself, um, made an attempt to terminate our county council. And what it ended up being is a one-year um, transition contract where he, he will be terminated at, at the end of 2022. But uh, in agreeing to stay on, got a 25% raise, got retroactive raise back to the beginning of this year, which doesn't normally happen at Lane County, the retroactive raise, is getting a bonus if he stays on the full contract time of $45,000 for retention. And then in something that bothers me more than anything, hidden in the contract, I, you know, it was originally described to me that he was gonna get an additional $35,000 in pay for what they called transition services, which would be, you know, helping to recruit, train, and transition his duties over to a new, you know, uh, lead head engine, you know, head attorney. Um, but they buried that. They tried to hide it in the contract. They put it in as a vehicle and cell phone stipend that if you're is described as a percentage of his annual pay, which you don't really get if you, you have to parse the language to realize he's getting that percentage of his annual pay once a month. So you have to multiply it times 12. And when you do that, it adds up to $35,000 for a vehicle and cell phone stipend that they tried to hide. 
And really, I, my fellow board members were embarrassed by what they're having to, to, to provide Mr. Dingle. They wanted to put his contract on the consent calendar and have it go by unnoticed by the public. It was only my, God, I'm sorry about that. It was only my um, intervention that put it on the regular board agenda and got me an opportunity at least to speak publicly about how much the contract cost us and 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 express my apologies to Mr. Dingle for the way he was treated in this process. Now, I still have to wonder, one of the complaints about Mr. Dingle from Commissioner Buck was that he lacked emotional intelligence. And I just kind of wonder what kind of emotional intelligence it took to create such a, a, a position for the board to provide Mr. Dingle with that much leverage that it's costing the taxpayers an extra $190,000. Now, mind you, I will say that we would have probably given him some kind of increase year to year anyway. Might have been another 40000 in cost to the taxpayers. So I'm only going to say that Commissioner Bucks and Commissioner Trieger's attempt to terminate Mr. Dingle only cost the taxpayers about $150,000. It's still $150,000. That's a sheriff's deputy, fully loaded with a car, practically. Think about that. And what really bothers me is the lack of transparency that was was, was attempted in this and, and even buried in the contract. I had to ask a lot of questions to understand the full cost of that contract and how it compared to the last one to get an understanding. And I guarantee you that that little section about the vehicle and cell phone stipend is not easily understood, that that represents $35,000. So just wanted people to be aware of that because sometimes we have to let people know we want transparency and, and we want our government to be transparent. And, uh, you know, we need to hold people accountable when they're not. I mean, I, I feel fortunate that the board voted um, and I will commend Chair Bernie for this, to release the tapes of the two executive sessions where we basically made a decision to have a vaccine mandate for our employees. Should never have been done in executive session to start with. But this is starting to build into a pattern of lack of transparency at times. And I really, it really bothers me because I got voted in after the book club and that whole issue of transparency and doing things behind closed doors. And I don't want to be connected with doing things behind closed doors ever as a commissioner. So anytime I can bring to light where I don't feel there's transparency, I'm going to shine that light brightly. And the county council's contract is a place where they were trying to bury it and, and, and look forward 
well, that $150,000, we're going to be paying that over the next year. I'm looking forward when I'm complaining about how much that cost us. Hopefully, we'll get a decent person recruited and in place to replace Mr. Dingle. But we're, you know, the, the citizens of Lane County are losing a great resource in, in the fact that eventually Mr. Dingle, I mean, he was probably going to retire in a year or two anyway. He's a tier one PERS employee, been in public service for 37 years, I believe. Uh, you know, so it's not like he was going to be around a whole lot longer anyhow. Um, but it sure would have been nice to leave in a much friendlier relationship and have, you know, a, you know, a normal contract relationship with him and not this inflative one. I'm just worried that as we go to hire the next one, this is going to be the base <laughs> for our next county council. You know, you know, is this where we start from, the $35,000 vehicle stipend? I don't know. So just want to remind folks that we are a call-in show. I know I've been rambling on a long time about that issue, but I kind of wanted to kind of one paint the picture about how important our county council is as Louis speaks and also um, just uh, the fact that, you know, we need to uh, um, pay attention to some of these things and, and do things transparently. So, again, we are calling show 646-721-9887. Just press 1 so we know you want to talk. Again, 646-721-9887, and that will get you in here on the Bose Nose Show. And I want to move on a little bit and, and take a moment to thank Peter DeFazio for his service to the state of Oregon and the citizens of Congressional District 4 here in Oregon. I know people will probably go, oh, I'm so glad he's retiring or whatever. That, that today's not the day to be angry, bad mouth, or whatever. You know, you have to think about this person's been in public service. I guarantee you being a congressman is not a cakewalk. I have no desire to be a congressman. Having to run for reelection every two years, having to commute from Oregon back and forth to D.C. and maintain two separate households, staff in, in home district, staff in D.C. Um, it they deserve the pay they get. And it's not an easy job, um, and you know one of the things I will. I can say about Peter is we may disagree on some a lot of policy. We had really strong alignment in some areas. Both Congressman DeFazio and myself are avid advocates of adequately funding infrastructure in this country. As a civil engineer, I understand how underfunded and how much backlog of need there is in our infrastructure systems across this country. Water, sewer, bridges, roads, you know, there needs to be an investment in that infrastructure. Uh, and him and I agreed on that and could talk at length about infrastructure. Um, 
you know, other things we agreed on, he actually was a pretty reasonable person when it came to trying to make some reforms to forest policy to try and get our forests back working for the people and the counties uh, here in Oregon and was actually the co-author of some bills with um, Republican congressmen to try and resolve our, some of our forest issues. So, you know, there's another place we can agree on. Uh, and he hired really good staff. You know, I, I've dealt with other congressional offices and all that um, over over the years, and uh, his staff was really good. And I consistently referred people to his office for certain issues because I knew his staff would fix the problems for him. If you were having problems with Social Security and and VA issues, his office was the go-to. No matter how much you may have disliked his policy or you thought he was ineffective or whatever it is negative about him, today's not the day to think about that. This is a person that at least provided service, was was dedicated to having his staff help veterans with the VA, dedicated to have seniors get their Social Security benefits straightened out. He was, you know, in, in some of those red tape federal agencies, his staff was exceptional at helping constituents. And as a partner there, he's always been a good partner. And he's, you know, retiring to, you know, to look after his own health. Um, you know, I, I wish him well in his retirement. And today is the day just to say thank you, Congressman, for your service. You enjoy your retirement. Keep well. And, um, you know, just a good day to, to say something positive about Congressman DeFazio. There'll be other days to be critical. You know, he's still serving until the new Congress, so I'm sure there's, there'll be some policy issue him and I disagree on. Build back better is, you know, we can talk about that all day long about the differences him and I have on on social spending and uh, deficit spending and a few other things. Uh, so, yeah, we don't always agree, but today is a day to say thank you, Congressman DeFazio, for your years of dedicated service and for the service you provided to our veterans and seniors here in Congressional District 4. So that all said, we can maybe talk about digital vaccine passports or the Omicron variant or anything else you want to talk about here on the Bozno Show. Just remind you again, 646-721-9887. That's the number to get in on the show. Press 1 so Robin knows you want to talk. Again, 646-721-9887. Just press 1, and that lets Robin know you want to get on the show. Um, before we talk about this is sort of COVID related. We've been in the pandemic now for a year and a half plus. And we're at a time now where we it's difficult to staff up in some of the businesses because a lot of people left the workforce. You know, it, it's kind of been an interesting social dynamic, the amount of people that have just decided not to go back to work 
post-pandemic. And there was a lot of assistance put out there for people that did lose work to help them get by. Um, you know, extra unemployment payments, other boosted payments, stimulus checks, you name it, stuff was put out there. So a year and a half into this and multiple rental assistance programs later, the state's last set of COVID rental relief that was supposed to prevent evictions has been poorly executed by the state of Oregon. They gave people 60 days basically to get their rental assistance or they might, you know, the, the, you know, that was the, the, the next eviction moratorium they passed and that 60 day moratorium's ending. That moratorium was put in place by the state legislature and in the state government's the one that's not processing stuff within the 60 days. So what do you think the solution would normally be? Well, the state would pull the legislature in and, and extend the, mor the moratorium or they would get their stuff together and process the applications on time. Either or, it seems to be a state-created issue and the state should provide the solution. Well, some local uh, activists on the, on the tenant side um, came to the board and said, we want you to extend the moratorium as a county moratorium. Now, we have never had any sort of landlord-tenant law really at Lane County level. We're not involved in it in any way. Um, it's something we just don't have any capacity to do, and we haven't really been involved in. Some of the cities have some landlord-tenant law in place. Um, we are The closest thing we get involved in is in the judicial side. Our justice courts do handle some landlord-tenant law between landlords and tenants on the in, in the judicial side of things and the contract side. But we don't have any, you know, rental standards or, you know, any sort of thing that we do where the county gets between landlords and tenants. So this would be something brand new for the county to do, to pass another moratorium, pretty well, you know, written specifically for people that have gone past their 60 days, but still, um, a moratorium on evictions for renters a year and a half into the pandemic, fix a problem that's the state's. And at the same time, the vote for that was taken after the state announced they were calling a special session to extend the moratorium. Well, I voted against the moratorium because I felt, one, we were exposing the county to legal liability because it's not just about protecting, you know, there's another side of the equation on this, which is the landlords. They're not getting money from the tenants, but they still have mortgages and maintenance and everything else on the property they're renting to the tenant. And there was nothing in our eviction moratorium that was going to provide relief for the landlords. So that makes it possible for the landlords to take action against the county for that lost revenue. Well, it, will it happen? It's not a strong possibility. Is it a, a exposure for the county? Yes. And the county in, you know, we asked staff in preparing this, 
to ask the state if they would indemnify us if we pass this moratorium where they would they would actually substitute the state of Oregon in for Lane County if we get sued over this extension that we were doing on their behalf. And you know what? The state refused to indemnify the county. Now, if the state didn't want to indemnify us, why should we put our taxpayers' money? Because, you know, when, when you talk about the county being liable for something, it's the taxpayers that pay the bill. If we get sued by a landlord and have to settle with that landlord in some way, or the landlord's awarded a settlement by the court, the taxpayers pay that settlement. Not not the Lane County. There's no one named Lane County that really writes that check. And if the taxpayers are paying settlements in legal liabilities that we really didn't need to expose ourselves to in the first place, it's at the expense of providing services because their tax money would have normally gone to something else. So I voted no, but I was the lone no vote on that. But just want to make people aware, you know, there's, you know, another little side issue going on where, you know, because most of our board's friends of, you know, the governor and the majority party up in Salem uh, were covering Salem's butt with your tax dollars and our liability. So, uh, you know, even knowing that there is a special session called to to extend that moratorium for those people that were in process. Just one of those things happening at the Lane County Commissioners this this last week. What else was going on around town? Well, we started hearing some rumors about digital vaccine passports last week. Now, this is much more COVID-related than, than, you know, eviction moratoriums, but it's an interesting thing. And, of course, now the state at first sort of denied that they were doing anything with digital, but then they finally admitted, yes, we are actually preparing to have by next March in place a system where we can issue digital vaccine passports to people but we're not going to require people to have them and we're not going to mandate that they be shown anywhere, but we're going to make them available. You know, it's like, oh yeah, it's like we're setting up the system, but we're not really going to require you to use it yet. (laughs) And I've, you know, I am a strong proponent of being vaccinated by choice. If you choose to, I'm fully vaccinated, and in fact, I've made an appointment to get a booster. So don't think I'm anti-vax. I am pro-freedom and individual rights. And part of that means you get to decide if you get vaccinated. And my concern with the whole issue of vaccine passports and then um, allowing the use of them for having extra privilege at something, whether it's gaining entry or um, being able to not have to quarantine various, you know, the quarantine in place or whatever they call it for kids and stuff, you know, all these various things that are going to start separating us into two different classes of citizens. You know, 
I don't support that. I think we can educate people, have them make their decisions about their risk of COVID, their risk of who they interact with they might spread it to, the risk of the vaccine as they, they see those risks, which I, I believe are pretty minimal for, for most adults. Um, and the older you are, the greater the balance goes and the risk of the disease being far more impactful than the risk of, of any adverse vaccine reaction. Uh, so, you know, one of the reasons I'm getting a booster, 63 years old, be 64 in a couple of weeks here. Um, I'm getting the booster. But uh, the idea of vaccine passports, if you're setting up the system, why set up the system? Unless you're going to start using it to separate us into two classes of people. And my other question is, is if you've had COVID and have natural immunity, will you be able to get a vaccine? Will you get a digital passport for that? Will that digital passport track people that have had COVID and recovered and their natural immunity they have? Will they get the same privileges as the vaccinated immunity? Think about that for a few minutes. Why do we need that system? Why is OHA setting that up and the, and the governors and the, and the state you know, executive branch? Unless they intend to use it. We really should think about whether we want to have that sort of system where we set up two classes of people. I mean, we really need to stop dividing this country so much. And, and and look at ways we can work together. Just as I talked earlier about how I could work with Congressman DeFazio on infrastructure, timber, and, you know, constituent services. I mean, he referred people to me that needed help with county issues, you know, local government issues, because <clears throat> he knew I would try and help them. So we, you know, that's really some, you know, quite often people that aren't in government don't know which branch of government they need to talk to to solve a problem. And part of being an elected official is understanding sometimes which branch of government does what, or at least having staff that you can ask which branch <laughs> would handle that problem and then directing people to the right person. As I've often told people, I feel like one of the main portions of my job is being a concierge where I just direct people to services and connect them with services, you know, get them, you know, that reservation at, at a certain restaurant because I know the maitre d', you know. I, I connect them with the department head that handles that program that they're having a problem trying to re, they're trying to resolve. You know, that, that, that's the sort of things I'm able to do as a commissioner. Or I know that that's not really a county issue. I'm going to connect you with Congressman DeFazio's staff because they're really good at resolving social security benefits issues. Look for those things that we can actually be in common with sometimes instead of what's dividing us. And don't create new reasons to divide us, governor and OHA. We don't need to start dividing us by the vaccinated and the unvaccinated. 
particularly if we're not going to start talking about the natural immunity people. Which brings me to Omicron a little bit. It's going to be interesting, you know, to see what happens with this very, very initial information coming out of South Africa. And, and this is early, early data, and we can't draw long-term conclusions of it until we start seeing more. Is it highly transmissible? So that, that's leading to some of the fear factor around it. But the part that's not being played on is it's not as severe as Delta and other variants as far as the actual disease manifesting itself in people that catch it. It may be something that actually breaks through vaccinations more. They're seeing a higher breakthrough rate and a higher transmission, but people are less sick. In fact, almost no hospitalizations reported from Omicron in the initial. So if that continues on that trend, I, we don't know because, you know, sometimes it takes a while for these things to get enough people infected to really understand the variant. If that continues, it'll be interesting to see, you know, do we let that variant run its course through the population? Everyone's mildly ill, and then they have some natural immunity to the virus from a mild case. Rather than shutting travel down, maybe we should be speeding travel up. <laughs> Work on some of that herd immunity. I, I wouldn't recommend that yet because we don't we don't know enough about that particular variant. But um, it's not quite time to push the panic button on that one. I think we need to wait and see, give us about another week or so of collecting data and hear from the experts on the ground in South Africa and uh, not make a bunch of suppositions. So going to be closing out here on the Bose Nose Show here shortly. And I just want to pause for a minute. And, and Robin, anything on your mind this week that I, that I missed in today's show? Oh, my God. You already had a very long list. Just thought I'd check in. Yeah, because I, I I like to let Robin have a moment or two to, and if she has an issue, she can bring it up because Robin produces this show for me for free. <laughs> no compensation. She does it just out of the goodness of the heart, and it's a good friend. And like I said last week in my thankful, um, you know, thankfulness uh, edition of the Bo's Nose Show, she is definitely one of the things I'm thankful here. And uh, I like to take a minute now and then just to say thank you, Robin, for producing the show, getting me out on all the platforms that carry uh, the Bose Nose show, her Facebook Live um, broadcast that she manages to work in with the Blog Talk broadcast, which gets picked up and rebroadcast by about 12 different, you know, from iTunes to uh, I don't know. Can you list some of them for me, Robin, that actually carry the Bose Nose show? Uh, we got uh, iTunes, Player.fm. We are now we are now available on Amazon, Amazon Audible, and several others actually. Wow, pretty pretty amazing. Uh, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where those streaming services are always looking for content, and because we are free, <laughs> they pick us up. Yeah, the one of the funniest things that I saw is that sometimes I do a search for our show just to see what other websites are <clears throat> rebroadcasting us. And I saw one that was actually selling our logo for about $20. Yeah. 
Ah, very interesting. Hmm. Might have to get some intellect. Might have to copyright it or something like that. Get some intellectual property rights off of that. Well, I think Maybe. we should sell uh, sell some swag. Yeah, sell some swag. There we go. The Bose swag. Ah, uh, yes. Well, that brings us down to the end of another Bose Nose show. I got to get off this show and get ready for my 5:30 public hearing on redistricting. Don't forget about that. We'll be back next week for another edition of the Bose Nose Show, coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. Thank you for listening. <laughs>